gospel is a very particular word or kind of speech in the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, the gospel is God's promise of a son who will crush the serpent's head, forgive the sins of his people, raise them from the dead, and give them everlasting life solely on the basis of his grace for the sake of Christ. If you're interested in the, the beginnings of the church, you know, I think looking at the creed is a great way of, of getting into church history and really seeing where the faith kind of came together. In the scripture, the way it presents discernment is actually the skill that you develop where you're able to identify goodness. And what was surprising to me is that is much the way we use the language of discernment outside of the church. The real difference, I would say, like what patriarchy teaches versus what we should believe, is that what they believe about the nature of men and women, that there is something fundamentally different about authority and submission between men and women. And that's not just like within particular relationships, but men and women in general. This is their nature. What are the duties required in the Ninth Commandment? The duties required in the Ninth Commandment are the preserving and promoting of truth between man and man. The Gospel never tells us something to do. The Gospel tells us about something that's been done. Hi, welcome to Theology Gals. I'm Colleen Sharp, and Rachel Miller is my co-host. And today, we are joined by Amy Bird. We're really excited. This is still our series on the church, and today we're going to talk to her about women and the church. And I do want to mention that Amy has a new book coming out in May, Recovering from Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, and we're hoping to have her on again uh, around the time that that book comes out. So, Amy, thank you so much for joining us again. I think this is your third time, so we're happy oh, to wow, have you. Oh, yeah. Love being on here. Thanks for having me. So, you know, I think it's good to kind of maybe set the stage because so many people, sometimes there's misrepresentations about things we believe and and whatnot. And I just wanted to give you first an opportunity to kind of say what it is that you believe about men and women, men and women in the church. Yeah. So, I mean, I could just take forever to answer that question and maybe write a whole book about it, <laughs> which I kind of have, but um, <laughs> several books. <laughs> so, I mean, I think that there's a, a lot of ways to answer that question, but I think the one that people mean <laughs> when they're first asking that question is, is what are your views on ordination and, and headship maybe? And so as far as men and women in the church, I think that uh, as far as church officers go, ordained um, pastors and elders, um, I'm part of the OPC, and um, I definitely agree and see a biblical um, argument, and not only an argument, but a goodness of God's design there to have only qualified men uh, to be in the ordained position. And I, I love how... Um, I've one of my favorite descriptions of that is it's more of a representative argument for me. And um, one of my favorite descriptions comes from the early church of just the, the pastor being like the best man for the bridegroom. And I think that is such a, 
a beautiful picture too of you know Christ being the groom for the whole church, but um, kind of like John the Baptist, <laughs> the pastor is the best man, kind of getting the bride ready and uh, sharing the gifts with the bride before she meets her groom. I like that. That's a kind of isn't that a very I interesting. Like that. Uh, I don't think I've read that one before. It's a cool illustration. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, and so then as far as lay people go, you know, I think there's a lot of discussion for talk. But, um, and you know, there's a lot of discussion for talk in all of it. These are all important discussions. But, um, you know, where I stand as far as ordination goes is, is for, for qualified um, men. Within marriage, um, you know, there's a, sim- there's a similar setup with, you know, the headship of the home being the the husband, and I think that that is a very serious um, responsibility and, and a great honor too. But um, you know, we see that right in um, the beginning of creation, where the man is the first to sacrifice. Um, he gives his very life for creation of woman. In the beginning, um, God has to put him out, and He takes from His side. Um, so He he sacrifices his own body in that way. Um, we also see that line about man shall uh, leave his, his mother and father and cling to his bride. Um, so that's another sacrifice there. Um, and we see that pictured in marriage showing, you know, how Christ did that very thing in the incarnation for his bride. Um, Christ gave his own life for his bride. So, um, you know, we see the, and then it's played out again in Ephesians 5. Um, it's a very sacrificial servant type of headship, which I don't think that um, we should take lightly. And I think that we should help (laughs) in that way, um, not try to sabotage that. Thank you. That's really very helpful. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, when, when you said that, you know, where you stand about ordination and, and where we're talking about this with our discussion, you know, since we're not talking about women in the church in terms of ordination, like we, we think that's a, we consider that a settled issue, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so since we're not talking about ordination, mm-hmm. what are we talking about instead about men and women in the church? How does our view of the church help us answer the question, what could, can or should women do in the church? Yeah, and, and in the Presbyterian church, I think this is really very helpful um, because, and, you know, and that's where this word authority comes in as well, is that the officers of the church are given um, this responsibility of a, of a certain kind of authority to um, preach the word as a, as a pastor. And um, I mean, that's with the authority of God. And then to also govern the church as the elders do and to shepherd. Um, so that is something that is again, kind of like what I was just saying in with, with marriage, that's a great responsibility that we should um, be thankful for. It is a gift given to the church by God. Um, and Ephesians 4 kind of sh- shows that, um, that Christ gave, up, gave us gifts. He gave us these officers of the church. Um, and so we should be helping in that way. We should be upholding that authority. We should be thankful for it. And, and then within that authority, um, as we are receiving gratefully like the means of grace and the preached word um, on Sunday morning, then 
that's going to overflow into the life of the church, the gifts. And then we, you know, in turn, serve and give to one another in exhortation, encouragement, and service. So there's a fruit of the ministry there in the, and it's very dynamic in the life of the lay people in the church. So um, it can be easily sometimes get confused. Sometimes uh, the teaching on so-called like biblical manhood and womanhood kind of gives all of all men this kind of authority, um, and all women all of a sudden um, are to submit to all men, and um, then it plays out in different ways as far as uh, how women can contribute theologically and intellectually um, at an adult level in the church, or even in the parachurch. Um, so it, it can become very confusing then when you get these categories wrong and it really diminishes the real authority given to the officers of the church. And I think that's, that's kind of dangerous. I'm glad you brought up those categories because this is something I've been thinking about a lot and kind of wondering why there's so much confusion. I was telling you before we recorded, I've been reformed since 1994. And it was kind of always the same in the Presbyterian circles I was in, um, you know, the White Horse Inn Conference would have a women, woman speak, for instance. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't controversial, at least that I ever knew. And the I PCRT almost, even did. Yes. And um, RPCNA. And mm-hmm. so in very conservative denominations. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I wonder, I, thinking through this, I almost wonder if since kind of this reformed world has become more broad and included Baptists with a different um, ecclesiology, that yep. there's been these category errors where all of a sudden it's all men can do everything that men can do and not and blurring those lines between, you know, ordained office and men, where all of a sudden, as long as you're a man, you can do everything that someone in ordained office. And then you get the question and you know this is like the question of the day. Um, well, what can women do in the church instead mm-hmm. of what is set aside for ordained officers and where do lay people fit in? So right. can you talk a little bit about that? Cause you know, it's always this, what can women do and what can women not do instead of seeing these categories that in the reformed and Presbyterian churches that we've kind of always had. Yeah. And kind of taking it, Back to the beginning of your comment there, I think what happened with a lot of these parachurch um, ministries and organizations is they started forming based more on uh, the modern day understanding of complementarianism, you know, based on biblical manhood and womanhood's definitions. And that became the uniting factor is uh, their ideas of what should be biblical manhood and womanhood. Um, And so baptism wasn't that big a deal. Ecclesiology wasn't that big a deal. Um, You know, they're coming together for the gospel on those things and and seeing them as second order issues that, hey, that they might separate us when we worship, but in in these parachurch gatherings and organizations, those don't separate us. Um, but then they didn't feel the same way about their views on men and women, even within so-called complementarianism, it became a lot more narrow of what their views of men and women were. And so, um, 
that kind of seeped into our churches, I feel like, in a lot of ways, because we look to them for, for resources on so many levels of teaching. Yeah, I think you're right, by the way. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you said that. I think you're yeah, right. Yeah, so it kind of watered down the Reformed Church in a lot of ways, um, in, in ways that we used to have better understanding of what our differences were, even on baptism and stuff like that. And um, But then all of a sudden, this, this over-heightened awareness of what, what they're definition of biblical manhood and, and womanhood is became very important. And so that kind of flowed into our churches. And now there's all these questions uh, about women even being able to teach a, a class like a co-ed um, or, or in these conferences, women teaching anything in co-ed, like you said, early in the white horse end days, when you were going, you would see that. And I'm not sure about how they are now, but um and I was saying, you know, the Philadelphia Conference on Reformed Theologies had women speakers, but I haven't seen yep. any recent. Right. You and know, I so. used to attend, that was like the first reform conference I went to in 1994. Yeah. So isn't that interesting? And, um, but now, and again, it's that diminishing of uh, real authority because when you go to a parachurch gathering, um, you don't have all the elements of a worship service yet they're taking their ideas of, you know, women being able to participate from corporate worship. So they're all assuming some sort of authority like an officer of a church would have for a parachurch gathering. Um, But you you don't have a call to worship. You don't have um, church officers. You don't have elders who are accountable to God for, uh, to govern and shepherd this parachurch organization, you have a, a board of members, you know, uh, board chairs, maybe. That's very different. You don't have a lot of these critical elements of worship, like congregational prayer and uh, the sacraments of baptism or the Lord's Supper. They're not administered. There's no benediction at the end. Or is there a confession of sin and absolution? Like, there's none of those things going on. Um, and yet it's treated the same as corporate worship. So then you have even later things added to the church, which started out kind of as parachurch, like Sunday school. Um, and, and even there, you're seeing the same um, application where uh, the Sunday school teacher is looked at as having an equal amount of authority as somebody, you know, as the preacher. And so now women, you know, in some churches, they don't think that women should be able to do that either. And I think, again, this is diminishing the real authority given um, for the preacher to preach the word of God um, in corporate worship. And and the real authority given for our elders to govern our church is diminished when you're looking at board members of having that same sort of thing. You know, I I almost feel like in some circles, they're almost making it up as they go along. So, Mm -hmm. for instance, um, so we're going to have the Sunday school, but we're we're not going to allow a woman to teach. But then we're going to have, I saw this actually, I won't say what denomination, but reformed denomination. But Mm -hmm. then a female missionary comes along. We're going to let her speak during Sunday school, but it's okay because she's speaking about missions. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- so they're kind of making up, I almost yeah, feel like so they're making up n- new new rules. We're now going to make our own categories and we're going to make our own rules. Because somebody said to me 
uh, well, um, at a conference, that's a sermon Mm -hmm. that someone is giving. You can't listen to that and tell me that's not a sermon, but they're not, they, they don't, this was a Baptist, so they're not distinguishing those categories of the preached word in corporate right. worship on the Lord's Day mm-hmm. and a Thursday afternoon conference. Right. And so then you get these lists, like um, in the Journal for B- Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, of you know, what a woman should do. Um, really, the list is about what she can't do. <laughs> and it, it's very odd when you look at it because. Um, there's like different categories of governing authority, Bible teaching, and public recognition or visibility um, to demarcate where a woman shouldn't cross those lines. And um, you start noticing things like where uh, some things are counted as like a woman teaching a woman's Bible study is under the line, so that's okay. But then you'll see high school, Sunday school is above the line. <laughs> Right. So how did you value those? How, how are those right. valued? How are those judged? Um, and just the whole, the whole idea of this list negates the title of what a woman should do. Because it's not saying any reason why a woman sh- should particularly do any of those things. It's just a prohibition, really. Um, right. you know, what is actually valuable about the woman's contribution? What is, what is good about femininity and why is it needed in the church? Um, what are we missing when we don't have the woman's contribution? Um, and when the woman is left out of the, the theological uh, and intellectual contributions in a church. Like, so it's, it's more about what we're permitted to do um, than why we're needed. Yes, exactly. Um, you know, I was thinking as you were saying that it comes a lot across a lot more that we would prefer men to do all of these things. Yes. If we're absolutely pushed. It would be okay mm-hmm. if women did something, these, these things. Um, right. As long as it's not too, uh, it doesn't have too much perceived authority or it doesn't have too mm-hmm. much perceived visibility. Right. Then, then maybe it's okay if you do these things. Right. I once heard, uh, I once heard, uh, the kind of thoughts from some church leaders on women teaching a class, um, outside of worship that, well, we're not necessarily against it. (laughs) And, And it's like the way they set it up was, well, we're not seeking out women, um, to do that, but we're not necessarily against it. Um, now, when I say that to my kids, <laughs> I'm not necessarily against it. You know, that means I'd rather have just about anything else, <laughs> <laughs> right? It's not very mm-hmm. welcoming. It, it doesn't, it's, it's definitely not something that you see as like needed or valuable. Um, so I think we have to think about the way we're talking about these things too. Um, and, and the way we're f- even wording the questions, um, I don't necessarily think we should be seeking out a certain number of women teachers either. Um, We should be seeking out good teachers and we should be investing in men and women. And and it doesn't even have to be formal teaching because so much of our learning is informal, isn't it? So much of our passing Mm -hmm. down to the next generation, so much of our building up. um, I mean, how much do we learn from our friends? 
so much. That's where we're the most intimate, you know, usually in our relationships. Um, so if we have godly friendships and we're coming to one another for advice and, um, you know, I hope that I can be well equipped in that way because there's teaching involved in friendship. So Absolutely. I think, you know, a pastor once said to me, I'm kind of lamenting and, and realizing that more needed to be done about this is that he said, you know, because we believe in male only ordination, when we see, we look for men who show, you know, theological um, vigor and leadership skills and all this stuff. And we invest in them because we know they could possibly be um, elders or even pastors. But are we looking for women in that way? Because there's so much teaching going on um, in our relationships informally, in our homes informally, and then, you know, in the classes that the church does offer um, in the different Bible studies and things like that, are we investing? Is the church leadership investing in the women uh, like they are the men? You know, one of the things that you talk about in um – a couple different of your books and other places is about women being necessary allies. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that kind of feeds into the discussion, what you've been talking about, but how should churches incorporate women as necessary allies in the church? There's so many different ways. I think one is just like what I was saying, um, kind of self-evaluating whether you're only uh, investing at a deeper level into the men um, and you're starting there, but are your deeper classes that you offer or Bible studies that you offer, um, only for men? Um, when you're looking in your men's and your women's ministry, is the, is it the same theological depth going on in both? Um, and then are you doing things with men and women together being educated? Are, are you training future teachers in your church. Um, and if you are, are you training both men and women? Uh, you know, one thing that I think is really important is that, you know, so often a pastor comes up in such a male culture that he, and I've talked to several pastors about this and professors that they don't, you know, they get into the ministry and they don't even realize for a while that they're really not even preaching to the women. Um, so just building uh, relationships, getting to know the women in the church. One way uh, my pastor, I think, does this well is just um, he asks questions a lot. So, you know, if he's working on a sermon, he may email somebody who he knows has been through an experience that would be good for application or just better understanding of the text um, at a more personal level. And it could be a man or a woman, you know, but he's just emailing different people about something that he's you know, thinking about there in the text. That's such a great way to get uh, congregants thinking and preparing them for the sermon, but then also for the pastor then to get into the minds and hearts um, and theology of his congregants, both men and women. So I think there's like, you know, formal ways to do that and informal ways to do that and, and relational ways as well. I'm glad you talked about those things. I was thinking when you were talking, um, my husband and I, we haven't been able to do this so much recently because of some health problems I have, but for most of our marriage, we love having 
people over after church on Sunday. Mm. And just that time after church, sitting together, men and women together, discussing mm-hmm. the dis- sermon, discussing theology, just that rich fellowship. And yeah. I've never, I've never felt in most, most of the time, I've never, I've never felt like um, I wasn't welcome to the discussion, but I did right. have an instance several years ago where it was almost like the women should be over in the corner taking care of the kids, talking about, mm. you know, their recipe planning for the week while <laughs> the men discuss theology <laughs> over there. But um, mm. one of the things you talk about in No Little Women is how women's ministry is often a, a backdoor for bad doctrine. And I'm so yeah. grateful when things, and I, I don't know if this is typical in all Presbyterian churches, but um, at least the ones that I've been in, when whether it's the men's Bible study or the women's Bible study, when we say, hey, we want to do such and such a book, we actually give it to the elders and say, mm-hmm. can you check this out? Um, which I think is a great way to protect from that. But But what have you seen in why it often is kind of a backdoor for bad doctrine? Yeah, that was another part I was going to get to is just um, how involved is the pastor or elders um, in, you know, even knowing and shepherding and guiding what's being taught in women's ministries. Um, So I get a good bit of emails from pastors or just conversations with them about um, the women were studying some book. They didn't, you know, they weren't paying attention. They just trusted them without any guidance. and all of a sudden they find out that, oh, this, you know, maybe it's one of the women in the study or somehow it gets raised to their attention that, oh, this book actually isn't very orthodox uh, or, or it has some pretty serious issues in it. And then when they come to the group and say that or come to the leader, then they're so emotionally invested in it by that time that there can be a lot of division um, coming in and trying to correct. So, um, or, you know, often a pastor will want to put a stop to it right away. And, um, you know, it's, it's insulting for the leaders, too, I think, to, to have to stop something that they had been putting and investing so much time in, and the leadership hasn't cared at all. And now all of a sudden they're stepping in and saying, oh, you can't do this. Um, so I, I usually, you know, my advice is usually like, why don't you, instead of putting a stop to it, go in and help them read this well, you know, and, and look at what's good and, and where the air is and, and help teach them discernment in reading that, um, going to the scriptures. And so that leadership is happening there then, and that investing is happening there. Um, so often I t- kind of talk about the women's ministry being like a back door for bad doctrine to seep into the church because, you know, before it even gets to the, the church officers, they're already um, sharing the stuff, that, what they're reading, because women are very good at doing that. We're very good at um, taking what we're learning, applying it to life, sharing it with others, um, and spreading it. And so if it's bad doctrine, that's not a good thing. Um, so that is an area women have a lot of influence in the household, in our personal households and in the household of God. So that can very easily happen if the leadership isn't investing in these women. Like they, they kind of just see like, oh, this woman has good leadership qualities. She's interested in teaching this or leading this uh, women's ministry. And then they're kind of relieved that it's up and going. Um, but it very much needs to be under the shepherding care of the elders of the church. And that would be such a blessing for the whole church then. 
So I'm going to play devil's advocate real quick and mm-hmm. ask, why does it matter what women are taught? <laughs> yeah, it, it doesn't matter at all, Rachel. It's um, just women. What, what we're just the women. Um, as long as we get the recipes right, right? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and supply the potluck meals. No, yeah. So why does it matter? Like I said, women have so much influence in the household of God and in our personal households. And women are very good, you know, um, we're very good multitaskers in the sense of, um, well, there's that that saying, and now there's been research done, that uh, men open up more in a conversation when a woman's in the room about themselves than when there's not a woman conversation partner. And I don't think we needed research to tell us that because we just kind of know in general, without trying to be too stereotypical, that women are gifted with kind of these relationship skills that um, we can't, we are good at getting people to open up more. And um, so we're good at building relationships and we're good teachers, but we need to be invested in with good teaching. So if it's bad teaching, it's going to infect more than just a few people. And I mean, you see this right from the very beginning of creation that Satan went for the woman. And I think that's interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, we've had people, that, girls that will come in our group quite often and say, there's no other women at my church that want to discuss theology. But at the same time, we've had girls come in the group and say, I was always a little intimidated when my husband was discussing theology and I started listening to your podcast and I'm really enjoying this. Mm. And I'm wondering if in these churches, women aren't being discipled and encouraged in studying such things. And so what are things churches can do to encourage and disciple women? Yeah. I mean, I think that's such a good question. And One way is, and it's interesting because when I went from the PCA to the OPC, one of my questions was, because I noticed in the PCA at the time when I was switching um, and and we were moving um, and going to this different church, but I noticed at that time there were a lot of issues with WIC, the women's ministry set up in the PCA. I think it's it's better now, but um, so I wanted to ask some questions about what's going on in the OPC with um, women's ministries, only to find out that there's like nothing. There aren't, there isn't this overarching um, setup for women's ministries in the OPC. And at first I thought, well, that's really a shame. But then it became freeing in some ways because it wasn't, that womanness wasn't attached to every single bit of learning. Hmm. Um, it was just, um, more thought of as an initiative maybe to have some women's things and some men's things in the church. They still had like, you know, a woman's Bible study that you could go to. And we have a, a, in our church itself has um, kind of a women's ministry committee to do fellowship events and to do, you know, events where we get speakers in and, and can disciple in that way. But um, women and men are together in a lot of, what we have for edification and education and discipleship in the church. So um, kind of what you were talking about, Colleen, with the after church get togethers, we have growth groups, um, which are small groups based on, you know, discipleship groups and we pray for one another as well and learn together. And those are men and women together. Um, 
I love it because I can do it with my husband too. Um, and our Sunday school on Sunday morning, we have two or three options, but they're all co-ed. And I like that for Sunday school. I like us being together on Sunday morning. Um, so some parts of it, I think, is let's not separate the women constantly um, and see the value of the dynamism of men and women, brothers and sisters learning together and um, from one another as well. And all that participation, kind of like what you were talking about as well, um, where the men and women are equally participating in the class. Um, I love that because there's just so many people in my church, different types of people that I can learn from. And that's what I love about um, small group or Sunday school class is that um, a lot of the time I, I love to go to the discussion oriented ones because, um, you know, a good teacher can get a good discussion going and um, there's, you're learning from more than just the teacher, which is pretty cool. Um, but then also I think another good like specific way is for the session to, or the elders in the church to, you know, really be kind of proactive about uh, how the women are learning, what's going on in their specific women's ministries. And so, you know, if they have identified a small group of women, depending on the size of the church, it could be anywhere from like three to 20, I don't know, but that they, you know, see as good leaders there that they would be investing in them so that they could invest in others who can then invest in others um, that they would be in communication with them. And that, you know, they would invite them to the session meetings sometimes and be, you know, asking some good questions like, uh, how, are, how are the sermons um, connecting with the women in the church? You know, what are the needs in our church right now from the women um, and struggles? What, what would be some good things to teach about? Um, how can we help to serve you? And then think of ways that they can, in reciprocity, be serving them well. So you can get intentional about how you're investing in the women as well. Um, I think those are great ideas. Thank you for, for sharing those with us. Um, you know, I, we recently too, we went from, I was in the PCA for 25 years and we've uh, been in an OPC church for a year now. Mm-hmm. And something that has occurred to me is I wonder how much of the, those what you saw too, like switching from PCA to OPC, I wonder how much of that comes from some of the culture from that mm-hmm. the, the denominations came out of, um, you know, while there are, you know, PCA churches in the North and there are OPC churches in the South, you know, the OPC did not form in the South and the PCA mm-hmm. did. And so, you know, I do wonder sometimes how much of our, our denominational understanding or, uh, or our denominationals, um, I guess, tendencies mm-hmm. uh, come out of those cultural ideas about women. Um, and you know, I say this as a Southern woman, you know, mm-hmm. uh, does that make sense to you? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, and there's so many other layers to that too, because mm-hmm. you've got the denomination as a whole and uh, what you're learning from that. And then the culture of that and where it's coming from, but then also just your own local congregation. Mm-hmm. Um, thanks. I was just a little side note. I was, yeah, no, that's something okay, I'd yeah. love to see some research into mm-hmm. about some of the, the roots of different approaches. Right. Um, so 
Now, you mentioned before about parachurch organizations and kind of the influence on our churches and um, and women. One thing I know you've talked about before and I'd like to hear you talk about today is why do so many women look to parachurch organization for discipleship mm-hmm. uh, or, or places to have a voice? What's what's going on and, and why is that uh, yeah. something we should watch out for? I think this is to the church's shame, really, um, mm-hmm. that parachurch is very attractive to women because their voice doesn't have any, you know, value um, in the church in the same level that they're seeing in the parachurch. They can contribute more. They're being invested in more. And they're finding other like-minded women who want to be learning these things. And, I mean, to take a step back, you know, you can say, wow, that's a really good thing that so many women want to go deeper in learning about Scripture um, and sharing that. Um, And there's also the good thing that parachurch you know, pastors and elders cannot do it all. Uh, they, they could use this coming alongside of what a parachurch is supposed to be doing. But what's really happened now, and maybe not purposefully so from the beginning, but what's happened now is that discipleship has been taken out of the church. And uh, particularly women, but men too, are looking outside of the church t- for discipleship. Um, and that's where it's a, to the church's shame, I believe. Um, and then, then, yeah, they're using all their gifts and, uh, in the parachurch. Now, you know, I'm a part of the parachurch. I'm not totally criticizing the parachurch here. I, I like the parachurch, but I think we need to get the proper view. Um, I kind of have used the term, uh, that they use in dating now, uh, DTR, like define the relationship. <laughs> <laughs> we need to have the DTR talk, um, with the church and the parachurch because discipleship belongs in the church. That's the great commission right there. Um, and I think we need to take that very seriously. We, we should not divorce discipleship from the means of grace that uh, have been instituted for it. And um, so we should be making sure that everybody in the congregation is being discipled well. And then, um, you know, when you've got people like, you know, Rachel, you, you're an author, um, or me, like who are in the parachurch realm doing these things, um, or even just like having a podcast (laughs) like this, that, um, you know, I know I like to be in conversation with my church leaders about these things. And I take my confessions of my faith very seriously. And I, I see those as the bounds within what, what we have to work within. They kind of help us. Um, but yeah, we need a better relationship then between the church and the parachurch. I think that a lot of women aren't being discipled, and so they are going to parachurch organizations for that. Um, yeah. I, I even think of, uh, of my, my own life. When I was first learning Reformed Theology, I went and found, I looked up Reformed in the Yellow Pages. that's how I found my first reformed church Um, but I was I was so hungry for um, theology you know I was listening to I was I had uh, I would listen to White Horse Inn every week and Mm -hmm. I actually had a Christmas tree timer um, connected to my stereo 
set up to record White Horse Inn at 11 oh, wow. p.m. on Sunday nights. And then I'd like re-listen to the tapes in my wow. Walkman. Like Walkman. Times a week. <laughs> you are old We're school. dating ourselves like, really well today. Mm-hmm. And, and there, was, there was benefit of that. So um, mm-hmm. definitely. But uh, yeah, at that time in my life, it, I would have loved to have had a little bit more of that in the church. Uh, you know, we talked a little bit about discipling women, but what are ways, some practical ways churches can incorporate women into the life of the church? And I think they do incorporate women by uh, having women set up meal trains and um, nursery, you know, nursery mm-hmm. schedule. Children's church, or yes. not children's church, children's Sunday school. Yeah, young children's Sunday school. But mm-hmm. in general, if, if we're if we're distinguishing not just between men and women, but between right. ordained officers and lay people, mm-hmm. now how can we incorporate women into the life of the church or all lay people, actually? Yeah, I think all lay people. Um, and that's the question is, what can a lay person do? What should a lay person do? Um, and there's so many, so many things. Um, but it is really easy. And I think, you know, maybe even with the best intentions and wanting to reach out to the women or reach out to the men that where we over separate. Um, I know a young woman approached me from a different church and she had read no little women and she wanted to know if we could get together because here she was, she was a young woman, very much not confused about her sexuality or anything like that, like to be a woman. But she was also a welder, like that's her profession. And, and she likes doing that. And she did not fit in very well in her, her church. Um, all the things for the women to do were these kind of like tea time type things. All the, all the service opportunities were divided even between men and women. So, um, you know, she said to me, I'm really not the person that you want to make the casserole for you when you have a baby. <laughs> but I would love to help you move into your house. However, only men were asked to do that. So it was kind of like, you know, a men's service opportunity. Uh, So that is, you know, kind of sad that she didn't feel like she could fit in anywhere. And then, of course, even the women's studies that she was going to were very focused on being a wife and a mother. And she just, you know, she wants to be married. She looks forward to that. But she's in her young 20s, you know. Um, she's not there yet. So what's, you know, is, is there more to talk about, about being a woman, being a Christian than these things? And are there more ways that she can serve? Because basically she's hearing she's not feminine enough yeah. and that maybe she isn't a godly woman. Um, and so it was hurtful even, but you know, and one thing my husband does that I love at our church and, and he's part of a bigger group that does this, but um, in wanting to help, whether it's, you know, helping those who need yard work done in the church who maybe live alone or um, are widowed, or maybe they uh, just have disabilities or many other reasons why you would need help with your yard work. You're overwhelmed. But um, he loves to get the youth involved in that too. And so a lot of times you're connecting the teenagers with the older generations and you're working together with them too. And um, he's, you know, just calling them up, asking them to come on the day that it might be already in the bulletin saying, Hey, we're going to be doing yard work on this day, but 
to personally invite people, um, I think is a good way too. And so that wasn't just a men's opportunity to serve. That was for anybody who wanted to come. And those are, I think, important to have service areas where men and women can work together. Now, we have things in our church, like the, a women's once a month dinner, um, where they go out to eat and then to a woman, different woman's house for dessert. And once a month, the men have a wings night at Buffalo Wild Wings when they're half off or buy one, get one free or something like that. Um, and that, those are good too. You know, it's good to have exclusive stuff sometimes, but make sure that there's lots of opportunities for men and women to serve together and, and learn together as well. Well, I do want to say that my OPC pastor made and brought me a meal when I lost a baby Aww. and that my pastor's wife and I did demolition on a room in the church. So I don't know for <laughs> demolition. This is nice. probably going to be scandal now, but yeah, things did happen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because just yeah, we shouldn't stereotype people's gifts and their you know where they can serve well. Exactly. the uh, The question that we wanted to ask here at the end, uh, we've really appreciated this discussion. Um, and it's another one, I'm the devil's advocate kind of question. So <laughs> should women teach theology to men? And of course, then the related one, should men be willing to learn from women? <laughs> um, well, I would say that women already are teaching theology to men. Um, and so the question is, is it good or is it bad theology? <laughs> um, and, and we see all in scripture even so much of women teaching theology to men. And whenever we study Hannah's prayer or Mary's Magnificat, you know, that's a woman's theology that we're getting. Women had a major part within the history of the canon in handing down the faith and um, active traditioning, being uh, oral tradents. You know, when you look at the midwives who didn't kill the Jewish boys, um, how do we know that whole story? It's because women handed it down. Um, and so it's, it's interesting. There's so many parts of, of scripture like that where women have faithfully witnessed and hand, handed down parts of the story that got put into the canon of scripture. Um, and every time we share the gospel, um, we are counting on what, we, what has been learned from, from women. In Luke, you've got women kind of end capping his whole gospel. It starts out with Mary and Elizabeth with the, um, the birth of Christ um, or with the, you know, being pregnant. And then with the gospel being announced first by a woman to the disciples. Um, it was the women who, who were there at the tomb. Uh, John didn't flee, but the rest of the disciples fled. So they had to borrow a lot of, you know, what are it's in those gospels from the testimony of these women who were there and saw all those details that we have recorded in scripture and the women who went to the tomb and saw that it was empty um, and shared that Jesus had risen from the dead. So we already are learning from women. Um, And like I said, even on an informal level all the time. So the question is, are we learning well from them and are, are we teaching well as women? 
One of the things I've thought about is, again, it seems like we're just making up new rules as we go along. Because if you look at a Facebook group, for instance, that has men and women, men are, you know, a woman says, hey, I was reading, you know, such and such passage this morning and blah, blah, blah. And a man reads it and he just learned something from a woman. Or, you know, at my Sunday afternoon lunch table where we're all discussing things so it's it's like well it's a, it's okay if you learn from women in these settings but just mm-hmm. not where we tell you it's not okay i guess i know it's it's very odd um and it's this this i think misunderstanding even of authority like authority has become such an obsession and such a um it's viewed as such a dictatorship type of thing um exactly and, it's, it's odd because, you know, even the, the authority that church officers have isn't like that. Um, you, they're authorized. You know, authority means you're authorized to do something, a specific task. So um, they don't have like some kind of blanket dictatorship over our lives, our whole entire lives. <laughs> they have specific areas of authority that we respect and um, are grateful for. But um, so I don't, and women are authorized to do all kinds of things, like Mary Magdalene being authorized by Jesus to go tell the disciples the good news. Yeah, it, there there's some real concerning things out there, and I'm going to go back to saying that I think it's a category error. Um, there's an, I don't, you've probably seen it at some point, but there's an article that goes around periodically. Someone tries to post it in Theology Gals. We don't approve it anymore. Um, that gives this whole argument for that, you know, men can learn from women except for theology, that um, women can't teach doctrine to men. And I, I can't, it's been a long time since I read it, but they use the, I do not permit a woman to teach and then make some argument for what this means is that a woman can never teach doctrine to men. And it's just kind of a bizarre, the whole thing is a little bit bizarre. I know. And I mean, maybe we shouldn't answer that article because then we'd be teaching them a thing or two. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I know. About how to read scripture. (laughs) I know. I know this is going to be a surprise to some people, but there's men that tune into Theology Gals. I got to... Uh, email from a pastor that said it's his favorite podcast. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> so, well, this was this was so helpful. I could talk to you all day, Amy. That's why we're going to have you on again in, in two Yay. months about your <laughs> your great new book, which I know lots of people are assuming what it's about and, um, you know, giving commentary before they've read it and all that fun stuff that you yep. get to go through. <laughs> well, we, we, appreci- we appreciate this. And I'm going to tell my listeners, if you haven't read Amy's book, No Little Women, she she goes in more detail to a lot of the things that we talked about today. Um, really helpful book. Really helpful book, I think, for pastors. Um, so I recommend are any pastors listening to, to read that book. Because I think this is an issue. And some of the things that we talked about in the beginning, you know, I just think some of those category lines are being blurred. And we need to think through these things and through the lens of our ecclesiology. So, Mm -hmm. well, thank you, Amy, for joining us and we'll be back next week. Yep. Good talking to you.